If you weren't here last week, or if you just need a refresher, um, Paul has, by this point, he has given us his understanding of how everyone who believes in God is are, have become children of Abraham. They've been born into this, this great salvation narrative for God the whole time. And he talked about how the, the law was used as a, as a guardian. We weren't, we weren't ready for the full freedom yet. We weren't, we weren't ready for whatever reason for Christ to come and to lift that burden of sin off of us. What we needed was a guardian. The law, still under sin, keeping us kind of in line, keeping us journeying the right way. So now as we turn to chapter 4, he talks about how as children of God, as, as heirs to the kingdom, we had been like children, heirs in a household. No, I'm going to pick on you. Come up here. Come on up. Come on up. Aaron, for making fun of him, you can come up here too. Come on up. All right, here's my question. I've got a question for y'all. Can you, do you feel like your parents love you? Yes. You did not answer quickly. Were you looking to them for the right response? He's grounded right now. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a loaded question. So here's the thing. I may come back to that. Here's the thing. Uh, so, so you are a loved part of the family, right? Whether or not you're in trouble or not, you know you're loved. Here's the thing. Do you have any say whatsoever in the next car you buy? No. Not really. Maybe a little. But when it comes down to it, it's your parents' choice, right? Chevrolet or Ford? Huh? You know that question. Chevrolet or Ford? <laughs> See, being raised in a good household. But here's the... Um, and so let's say you wanted to, to paint your room oh, neon pink with orange polka dots. Could you do it? No, because your parents have some sort of say over what happens in the household. How about the decision on where uh, money can be invested or where y'all are going to spend, spend large amounts of money as a family? Do you have any say in that? Aren't you part of the family? And aren't you um, being raised to, to take on that family name and to be able to do more, but you're not allowed to do these things? Sometimes you'll get a little bit of money, you go spend this as you want. But for the big family decisions, you can't do it, right? Sometimes you have to get punished, don't you? Okay. <laughs> to some degree, this is what y'all can sit down now. I may call y'all back up later because I thought I'd have a Jackson to pick on. But um, y'all can sit down now. Uh, but uh, this is what Paul's getting at. Um, now, now Greco-Roman culture is even worse than what we are. I won't say worse. It was starker than what we have today. Because you, Noah and Aaron, even though you are not 18, even though you're, not, you're still considered minors, you have rights. You have things that, that you have protections from our culture, from our government, that even transcend what your parents can give you. Right? In Greco-Roman culture, children had no rights. They were essentially the same thing as slaves. They had no say in where the household would go. They had no input. They were... When it came to, to how they, their everyday life, they were as slaves. They were taught by their masters. They were taught by their, by their tutors. Um, they were kept in line. They always knew, the difference is, they knew that someday they would inherit. And when Paul's talking about children here, he's talking about heirs, the, the oldest son. 
that they would inherit. They would take over the family business. They would take over the family house. They knew this was coming, but as they were children's under children under guardians, they had no rights, no power. They were kept enslaved. What Paul is talking about here is that that whenever we were under the law, whenever the the Jews specifically were under the law, and he uses here the elemental forces to talk about the the religions that the Galatians may have had before they learned about God, that that while they were under it, they were enslaved. It was good in a sense that it it, it kept them safe, but it wasn't freedom. It wasn't the, the ultimate freedom that would come in Christ. And Paul talked about the, the how we were enslaved by the elemental spirits of the world. And this, is, this comes from, from Greek philosophy. Uh, in that, that everything in the world around us is made up of elements. And those elements are often paired up with opposites. Uh, Aiden, come here. You want to help me? You're too shy. All right, we're going to use the whole congregation. Because we know how opposites work. Here, here, let's let's show this. I want to I want to see this. So so um, if we can look at the that that's it. These are the these are the four main elements in Greek philosophy uh, on the outside: water, fire, earth, and air. And they considered water the opposite of fire, and earth the opposite of air. See, everything in ele- in in Greek philosophical elemental thought is the idea that everything has an opposite. They must counteract each other. And if you notice, around the outside, those opposites, they create other opposites. Moist and dry, cold and warm. Those make more sense to us than the water and than the fire and air part, or the earth and air part. But um, also, if you notice, this tends to keep going down the rabbit hole. Because on the, the, the wet, cold side is feminine, on the dry, warm side is masculine. Here it is, what, here's what it is to be man and woman. And man and woman are opposites. We think this way still today. What is the opposite of black? I don't mean race. I'm just meaning colors right now. White, right? What is the opposite of Aggie? Baylor Bear. Longhorn. Longhorn. Baylor Bear. I was thinking Longhorns. I think that's the first thing that comes to mind, even though I'm Baylor Bear. What is the opposite of Ford? Chevy. Chevy. Is Chevy really the opposite of Ford? I would think maybe... BMW? Can we think outside of what we normally... But, but we have these opposites built in our mind. You understand this? This is what, what Paul's audience would have too. Everything inside nature has an element it's made up of. Not the... What do we have? 130-something elements? Yelling chemistry yet? Uh, not the elements we know. They only had four in early Greek thought. It went up to five eventually. Sometimes you'll see some with eight. But it's... The elements are opposites. And this is the way the whole Greek mindset is, is set up. That there are opposites inside philosophy. And one side of that opposite is often good and holy. And one side is not. It's evil. So what Paul is dealing with in our, in our passage today. He's setting this up with opposites. To talk about the, the, the opposites that, that Greeks and Hebrews can both completely agree on. That opposite between divine and human. Or divine and vulgar. There is a divine realm where everything is perfect in Greek thought. Or everything is righteous in Jewish thought. And there is the vulgar worldly realm where it is imperfect to a Greek. Or sinful and dirty to a Jew. 
And that between the two is this big gap. The divine cannot come into the vulgar world. There must be some sort of separation. Imperfection or perfection cannot become imperfect. Righteous cannot become sinful. They must be kept separate. But as Paul's already shown, there's been a freedom that's been given away from the law, away from sin, that starts to bridge that gap. That, 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 that Christ came among us. And you can understand why Paul is getting so frustrated at this point. Can you hear him yelling at times? Can you hear him crying at times? I am in the pains of childbirth. How could you? I plead with you, brothers and sisters. Hear him. He is so angry, so upset, because they seem to be giving back the freedom they've been given. They're choosing the sin, the law, over the real message. So here he is. He's going he's to try to nail it down even further. He's going to try to show just how radical, just how new, just how life and world changing this message is. The crux of everything happens really between verses 4 and 6 in our chapter here. Remember, we've already talked about we're in slavery under the elemental forces of the world, including the law, if you're Jews. To Paul, the law is that, that, that me versus you, that inside versus outside, that divine versus human. The law was put there to keep those borders in place. But here, as Paul is making his point, he shows that the borders were broken. In fact, they likely never existed. When the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son... This idea of sending means the Son was fully divine beforehand. Fully, he, he existed before He was sent. He wasn't born and then came into existence and divine came, divinity came into Him. He was God beforehand and God sent Him. He didn't send Him any normal way. He didn't come down in a laser from heaven. He didn't come down like being beamed down from the Starship Enterprise. He came born of a woman. Born under the law with that exact same sin on his shoulders that we carry. The divine crossed the path and is now imperfect. Wallowing in the mud of our sin. And he did this so that we can realize that this whole time, this gap that we were pushing Pushing God away with never existed. That we can be adopted as sons, as daughters, even heirs. That's what he means by son here. We don't need to get caught up on, on well, I'm a, I'm a female, I can't be a son. What he's meaning is that when we're adopted, we inherit the kingdom. We inherit the freedom that Christ himself had. That is for us. It's so radical for his congregation to think this way. It's radical for a Greek to think that the imperfect or the perfect God would choose to live among the imperfect. It's even more radical for a Jew to think the righteous God could possibly be anywhere near my sin. radical to both of them to think that God isn't some holy, 
other, unattainable, unreachable, but instead is Abba, Papa, Father. And what Paul is getting at in this is that that if God was willing to, to bridge that gap, then let's be willing to let him bridge it. Forget the laws that keep us separated from him, that are somehow there in order to keep us at a distance from the divine. Forget the laws that keep us separated from each other. Circumcision, food laws, these things that that the Greeks were being asked to do so that they could become like Jews and therefore identify themselves against the world. Forget these. God crossed the boundary, so can we. This is the whole point of his message in 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ, God, chose to be one with us, then we can be one with each other. Every wall, every boundary, every fence, everything we draw in order to keep ourselves separated from each other goes against this very underlying truth of the gospel. God crossed the boundary that we thought could not be crossed. We are called to also. We're called to stop building them. Stop separating ourselves from God and from each other. The message for us as a church is to realize that there are boundaries that have been painted um, even inside the church, inside our culture, that we must break down Ecclesia. We must Reach out to those who are pushed aside. The boundary between legal and illegal is not a kingdom boundary. There are no illegals in the kingdom of God. We reside in a great nation where we can be free to worship. But we are not residents of that nation. We in the church are residents of the kingdom of God. First and foremost, there is no line between legal and illegal in his kingdom. This morning, we we talked about there's some fear from ice raids. No matter how targeted they are, no matter how small it is, it creates fear because because they know what's behind it. The hatred, the anger that, that has to do with color of skin or language that you speak. Culture. When we look at the news and see fingers entwined and chain link, When we hear multiple people who've gone into the centers and come out and go, not only is this bad that we're separating, but we're treating people horribly. That we've drawn this line along the Rio Grande and further on up, and that, that this line is, a, is, is the important boundary of our culture. It cannot be crossed unless you are the right type, unless you are what we want. Yeah, but there are lines around us that are a little... That's easy to point a finger. That's easy to say it's someone else's fault. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, here's a line that I deal with every day, considering where I live. The line between local and tourist. I live like two blocks from, from Harp Design. I, I, whenever someone's taking a selfie in the middle of the street, I kind of want to just swerve and give them a little knock. Um, I, I can't stand it, but this is still a line that i got to get over. These are probably normal, good people. 
They're just lost. They don't know how to navigate Waco. Heck, it took me like 10 years to figure out how to navigate Waco. Um, they're, not, they're just lost. They're overall good people. But I see it and I get angry. Get out of my town. That line isn't a kingdom line. That line in my own head isn't of the kingdom. The lines that we draw in our own town. Call it Valley Mills. If you've ever heard someone say that's the bad side of town, they're drawing a line in their, their, their mind. There is no side of town that's more dangerous than the other anymore. I get that there was some gang stuff and drug stuff before. You look at our city now, there's no bad side of town. If someone says that, they've drawn a line on a map and said, this is my side, that's their side. And we in the church, in the kingdom, don't believe in those lines. So whether it's Valley Mills, whether it's the river, whether it's the outskirts of College Station, whatever the line is you draw to where there's another on the other side, it is not of the kingdom. God has crossed the boundary, the ultimate boundary. We must not build them ourselves. And for most of us, the line that we like to keep up is that line that Paul is talking about. That God is wholly opposite of us. He is wholly righteous, completely perfect. He doesn't want anything to do with me. The only reason He does is because God, as Jesus said, shed His blood and God feels sorry for, for us through that. I mean, sometimes the, the theology is a little messed up because we feel like God still doesn't want anything to do with us. Even though He reached out His arms and showed us that He does. We still can't believe it. Believe it. That line has been crossed. God isn't far away, up past the clouds, where only SpaceX can get to Him. God is right here. He's in your heart. The Spirit has come into you so that you can call Him Abba. We can't earn our way to God. You can't follow more laws. You can't pray more. You can't read more. You cannot find a way to build a longer bridge to, to cross the cavern because the cavern doesn't exist, church. You have already been known by God. Notice that at that part, uh, that verse 9, but now that you know God, and then Paul's like, well, it's not really about knowing God. It's that God chose to know you. That's already been done. The barrier has been broken. The holy other, that separated perfect being, is now Abba, Papa, Father. No matter how broken, no matter how sinful, no matter how much you have been hurt or have hurt, no matter how much you think God would find you disgusting, He doesn't. You can lay your head on your Papa's chest. Amen. Feel the warmth come from your Daddy, from your Abba. That's how close He is. There is no boundaries. There are no opposites. God and His Spirit love you just how you are. Let us pray.